But uh, today, I don't know about you, but I have always admired people who go for greater and actually achieve it. You know, it's one thing to go for greater. It's another thing to get to greater. To start in one spot and actually see your life get better and get greater and get outside of where you were before. How many guys know growth is possible? If you've given up on growth, if you've given up on greatness, it's a great time at the beginning of the year to go for greater again. Everybody say, go for greater. I love people who do what the Bible talks about and reign in this world, reign in life. I love people who run in such a way to win a prize. These are all Bible thoughts. I love the people who compete in a way to defeat anything that could stop them or hinder them or slow them down from being the best they can possibly be. I love people who compete to defeat what could stop them. How about you? A few summers back, I was invited to speak um, at a summer camp for a, a church where they love to play basketball. A lot of young guys just loving basketball. There's about 15 of us guys that just would go out every night, and I felt really sore. My legs aren't used to that, but I would play and run and play basketball, and they'd go all out in excellence with each other, okay? Uh, and after one of these intense nights of fellowship where we're just running with all of our might, one of the sharpest, most talented players on the court, one of the best guys in the crew, he came up to me afterwards, and he asked me sincerely, Pastor Nate, is it wrong to be competitive? Is it wrong to want to win? Is it wrong to want to beat other people and to be competitive? And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a great question. A little surprised by it. I thought he was going to ask me something more spiritual. And he just said, well, is it wrong to be competitive? But I knew right away he was a competitive person. Because only competitive people ask that question. Are you catching what I'm saying? Is it wrong to be competitive? Only a competitive person would ask that question. Well, maybe not. Let me clarify. Because competitive people don't ask that question everywhere, just in the church world. I mean, if you're going to ask a U.S., uh, if you're a U.S. Olympian on the U.S. Olympics team, you're not going to ask this question. Coach, is it wrong to be competitive? You know, if you're in the Super Bowl and you made it in just a couple weeks to be part of the 49ers playing whoever they are, and you're like, man, you're not going to be out there on the field as a 49er. Like, is it wrong to be competitive? <laughs> Could you imagine? So they don't ask this question ever. If you are about to make a merger that eliminates your company's competition, you're buying them out, they are a threat to you, and you win, you dominate, you take possession of their ground. And you're never going to ask yourself at that board meeting, at that table, like, is it wrong to crush these guys? Is it wrong to be competitive and make this merger? You wouldn't be there on that team if you're still asking that question. But what I've discovered is that in the church, in a conversation around faith, that question becomes a really significant question. And maybe in our culture as a whole, even more so outside of faith in our culture than ever before, we've created a, a not-so-subtle narrative that it is indeed wrong to be competitive. So now we have a lot of complementary phrases that we replace the word competitive with. Instead of being competitive, we're like, we should all be collaborative. Everybody's like, yeah, let's synergize. It sounds so mature. It sounds so nice and sweet. Let's be collaborative. Yes, I want to collaborate with everybody. I don't want to be competitive. I would never compete. Let's collaborate. Or, you know, we shouldn't be competitive. We should be cooperative. You know what I'm saying? And we like that too. Ooh, I could cooperate. I could like, you know... Be good at being good with other people and not competing. So we say, oh, let's collaborate. Let's cooperate. And what's happened in our culture is that if someone is competitive, we place that in our minds as a negative attribute to that person's character. You catching me? They're competitive, and we just say, a lot of mature people would say, they're competitive just because they haven't fully developed as a human being yet. Once they get older and that drive just kind of dwindles down, they'll just relax and allow other people to win too. They're competitive because, well, they're still primitive, ooh, ooh, ha, ha, using their primate brain, you know what I'm saying? And they think, well, they're just using their lowest functioning brain. They're, they're barbaric, actually. So that's why they compete like they do. And one day, you're going to outgrow your need to be competitive. And what's disturbing to me is that we admire those people who are the most competitive in the world. I'll throw a couple out. Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Serena Williams. We admire the people like Bill Gates, I don't know, the most competitive winning people in the world. Elon Musk, we, we admire Elon, and we celebrate them, and we pedestal them, 
And we aspire to be them. And yet somehow we have embraced this belief that it is not right for us to be competitive. Especially if you want to be like Jesus. Because everybody knows that Jesus isn't competitive. Everybody knows that Jesus is chill. He's zen. He's totally all right. He's just love. He loves the journey. And Jesus is not competitive at all. Jesus is all about the journey, never about the end result. No, Jesus is all about fun and fellowship, not the win at the end of the day. So if you want to be like Jesus, you cannot be competitive. And so many have been subtly taught throughout their faith that you cannot be like Jesus and be competitive. And that's why I have a young 27-year-old man coming up to me after he plays basketball with his friends. Is it wrong to feel like I feel? Is it wrong to give everything you got on a court to win and beat your peers? You have to be okay with losing if you're going to follow Jesus. And I used to say really nice phrases. If you know me, I'm a very competitive person. If we're playing chess, I want to win. If we're playing checkers, I want to win. If we're playing basketball, I want to win. If we're playing handball, I don't know, just a little thumb finger flicking paper mache thing. I don't know. Whatever we play, I want to win. If you know anything about me, I just really like to win. And I used to say little phrases like, you know, I don't, I don't hate to lose. I just love to win. And that'd be like, kind of like people would get it. Like, he doesn't hate to lose. He just loves to win. But the truth is, I hate to lose. I hate losing. And here's the dilemma. I think that most of us have subtly given up what may be one of the most powerful expressions of being a human being. And that is ambition. Ambition. And today we're calling this one Ambition with a mission. Go ahead, write it down on top of your paper if it's not there already. Ambition with a mission. Anybody with me? See, I want to destroy. I'll just be upfront with you. I want to destroy this framework inside of your soul that says it is wrong to be competitive. And when I was asked, is it wrong to be competitive? I said, no, of course not. It's not wrong to be competitive. It's just that you need to be careful what you're competing for. And maybe even more so, who you're competing against. In fact, I would encourage you not to benchmark yourself or compete in comparison to other people. So compete, but don't compare yourself to others. And with that, this talented young man said, but isn't it okay if I want to compete against other people? (laughs) I thought, wow, he's really competitive. I mean, he really is like, but isn't it okay to want to beat my friends? And I said, so, well, that's okay, too, but I'm sorry. I was just assuming something about you. He goes, well, what were you assuming? What was that? I was assuming that you're going to be the best in the world. Because if you're going to be the best in the world at anything, there'll be no comparison. There'll be no one to compare yourself with. And I'm a pusher. I like to push things out all the way. And if you are the best in the world, who do you compete with? If you're LeBron James, who do you compete with? If you're better than anybody else who's ever been on the court before or on the, on, the, on, the, on the field before, who do you really compete with? See, you can only compare yourself to other people as long as you're not the best. And so before you start, you're already thinking, I'm not the best. I'm, you're already thinking, I can never be the best. But if you're really going to compete to win, that's what Paul talks about. If you're really going to run a race to win, you're going to assume that I want to be the best in the world. Now, that's a big statement. Unless you're like going after crocheting and there's not much record out there. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to make the biggest crochet. I'm going to knit every rock and field. You know, and there's some people who do that. They just make up their own niche and they're like, I'm awesome at paper airplanes. And like, whoa, you really are good at paper airplanes. And people watch and they, they, they give them money and they, they just got a passion for paper airplanes. You know what I'm saying? And so if you're competitive and you're comparing yourself against other people, let's just think about it for a second. You can actually create a subtle deception and you can make sure that you're always in a room with people less gifted than you. And in that way, you feel like you've accomplished greatness. Or in that way, you feel like, I am the greatest at this. That way, you feel like you're better than you really are. And so if you're competitive, but your measure is other people, be careful because you may be choosing the wrong people to measure yourself against. I don't know if you know this, but I am really tall. I don't look that tall on the screen. I'm 6'2". Some say 6'3 with my hair. I am a tall person until... I step out onto the NBA basketball court, and it becomes obvious that I am one of the shortest guys in the room. Do you hear what I'm saying? See, in another land with people of smaller stature, I could have been great. I'm an Amazon. 
I could have been a center. I could have been great. I could have been a champion on the court if I could just surround myself for the rest of my life with short people. And coincidentally, at this camp, they were all of a certain nationality. I was taller than everybody in the room. And that's why I could compete and win at basketball. You're getting what I'm saying? I could have been tall, you know. If I was born in another land, I could have been like the giant of all giants. And if you spend your life competing against other people, measuring yourself against other people, you may endanger yourself by always making sure you're in rooms full of short people. I'm the best communicator in the room, full of non-communicated people. Because the reality is, and I know we're not supposed to say this. I know it's politically incorrect to say this. But see, the lie is that we are all the same. The lie is that then there's a subtle message that is shifting into our culture that says we are all the same, we need to act the same, we need to be the same, and you start standing out, there's something wrong with your character. But here's the problem. If we're all going to be the same, we often meet at the lowest common denominator because we cannot ever meet at the highest one. Because if we're all going to look the same, we're all going to find the way that we can all seem the same as if we're all the same. Then no one can allow greatness to ever emerge in their life. And I think a lot of us, we want to feel like we're important by making everyone else less. Instead of, rather than, elevating ourselves into greatness more. Greatness more or everyone else less. And there's this choice we have to make. Who am I competing with? You look at your family, I always say this, if you compare yourself to no one, or if you compare yourself to lose, losing, you're always going to feel like you're winning. Well, I think there's this moment in the scriptures that kind of breaks this down and gives us this real perspective on greatness from Jesus. And you're like, I don't believe any of this stuff so far. I love to collaborate. I love to cooperate. I hate competition. I hate red type A people like you. I know there's something wrong with you, and you're taking it out on all of us this morning. Okay, let's read Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through 28, and let's talk to Jesus, okay? It says, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked the favor of Jesus. Now, by the way, you got to notice how this starts. Jesus has 12 disciples. And two of them are brothers, John and James. And they are the sons of Zebedee, otherwise known as the sons of thunder, is what that translates. The sons of Zebedee mean the sons of thunder. Don't you love that? They're the sons of thunder. Wouldn't it be awesome to have that name wrapped around you and your brother? We're the sons of thunder. Sounds like a wrestling thing, right? We just showed up, the sons of thunder tag team, until (laughs) the sons of thunder asked their mommy (laughs) to go to Jesus to see if she could negotiate for them a place of importance and greatness at the seat of Jesus. So we got the sons of thunder, and it's not like, sons of thunder, behind their mom, okay? It's so funny, and their mom comes to Jesus, and now if my mom went to my boss, and she said, do you know how valuable my little baby boy is? I mean, do you know how talented and little Nafi is? He's so sweet, he's so cute, he's just amazing. If she would do that without my knowledge, I would be so embarrassed, so humiliated. Wouldn't it be uh, terrible if your boss called you into his office the next day? He's like, hey, your mom came to see me last night. <laughs> you don't know this, but she was wondering why I haven't given you that promotion and why you're not getting that raise. But even worse than that, that would be humiliating. But even worse than that, she didn't even go on their behalf without them. She went with them which means they're standing behind their mom and she's talking for them about them they were with her anybody be embarrassed if your mom went to your boss and was like do you see how talented my kids are and they're lined up behind her standing behind her go ahead mom tell them what you were going to say about the greatness thing and how i want to i want a great seat of importance by him so she goes to jesus and matthew describes what she does and kneeling down in front of jesus she gets on her knees and i think it's important because she takes a posture of humility and steps into an act of arrogance at the same time and she's like oh jesus i just want to come kneel before you and ensure that my sons are amazing and i love jesus his response to her is what do you want This is weird. Your kids are right there. They're on my team. I'm their boss. Here you are, mom. What do you want from me? He asked. She said, grant one of these two sons of mine that they may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Jesus replied, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? We can, they answered in unison. Yes. (laughs) We're standing behind her mom. Yeah, we can do it. Tell them we can do it, mom. 
And Jesus said, all right, boys over there, indeed, you will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places of greatness, these places of significance, these places of importance belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. Now, you got to commend this lady. you got to commend this mom because she believes that Jesus is the king. you got to give it to her because she believes that Jesus has a kingdom that is worth being a part of. I mean, Jesus is going places. I want my sons to go with, them, with him. I think I believe in this mission, and I have ambition, and she wants the best for her baby boys. I have, to, I have two sons. You have two sides, Jesus. I want one son at your right, the other son on your left. Jesus, you can choose. I don't want to be too bossy here. It's up to you who gets the left, who gets the right. But I want them there at your right and left. And Jesus looks at him and says, you don't know what you're asking for, mama. What do you want? Do you you understand? Can you drink of this cup? And this cup is suffering. This cup is sacrifice. This cup is is discipline. This cup is heartache. And of course, they don't understand what he's talking about at all. They said, yes, we can. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my left or right is not for me to grant. Jesus said, do you understand that you are asking for a place of greatness in my kingdom? And in my kingdom, the level of greatness will be determined by the level of sacrifice. Are you ready to bear the sacrifice, the level of sacrifice necessary to have this level of greatness? And that's what he asked them. See, I think we've been seduced by an ideology or maybe a mythology of greatness. Because we see greatness in our world all the time so easily at our fingertips. If you want to see somebody do something amazing with a ping pong ball, just go on YouTube. You'll see amazing things happen. You don't see the 40,000 times it didn't work. You'll be like, wow, they are great at ping pong can, can, can stuff and bouncing things. It's like, dude, perfect. You know what I'm saying? If you want to see somebody sing the best riff in the world, like Christina Aguilera, all you got to do is turn on one video and be like, she's the greatest. Ah. Right? She's just riffing up and down the charts. And like, she's amazing singer. Because we see great, greatness so accessible, greatness so easily, and so often what people do great things, it looks like it's so simple to us. We see the the best in the world do the most difficult things in the world within seconds at our fingertips. The best communicators, the best comedians, the best shows, and they make it look as if it's the simplest thing on the planet. Because all we see is the end result. When you watch a mathematician do math, he makes it look so easy and you feel so dumb. When you watch a world-class swimmer just glide across the water, she just makes it look so easy. When you watch the best in the world shoot three-pointers, it's like you just take in your hand, you toss it in the net. Take in your hand, you toss it in the net. It's so easy. And what happens is we've been seduced by a mythology of greatness that is translated into our belief that if we were actually great at something, it should just come easily to us. Without sacrifice, without determination, because if something requires more discipline, more effort, more struggle, more pain from us than we expected, we assume it isn't the greatness, it isn't the giftedness that God has given to us. But I want to suggest to you that the things that come easily for you are probably not the root of your greatness. That your greatness is hidden underneath the hard work of discipline and determination and courage and failure and resolve and more failure and more resolve and actually going for greater when you hit walls of failure. And Jesus asked these men, are you ready to take on the level of sacrifice this kind of greatness demands? Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived on the planet because he made the greatest sacrifice the planet has ever seen. I want to tell you, Jesus is the greatest at any any category because he made the greatest sacrifice the planet ever needed. In verse 24, it says, When ten other guys heard about what John and James, the sons of thunder, Zebedee, and their mom pulled off, they were indignant with the brothers. I love that. They were indignant. Have you ever been indignant with somebody maybe you're like i don't know what that means i don't know what that word means i want to suggest to you that uh you probably know what it means you just don't know what it means it's when you go how dare she do that how dare he step up and take that spot if you ever wanted to ask a girl out 
You, t- you didn't have the guts, but you told your buddy about how awesome and how attractive she was. Like, look at her. She's amazing. And then he went and asked her out, and she said yes. That, that, that's when you got indignant. You're like, what the? Who does he think he is? I showed her to him. I introduced those two. He's the guy who got the date. That's who he thinks he is. You catching what I'm saying? Have you ever wanted a promotion at work and you didn't have the initiate conversation point we brought up last week and you're just trying to shine and say, see me boss and see me people. You never just said, I'm going to do a better job than you and they're going to see me. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to apply for it. Some people are like beating around the bush. I don't want to ask for the job. I don't want to step up and say, I can do that. I am able. I want that. And, and then somebody else steps up and they get the job. Just because they asked, have you ever been indignant? He's only been here for six months. He just does exactly what I was going to do, but I didn't have the guts to do it. He's asking for the job, and he got it, and I'm indignant. I am mad. How dare he steal that spot from me being here less time? You get what I'm saying? John, you get it? I'm saying, come on, guys. See, I think a lot of us are indignant because someone else had the guts, the ambition to get what we wanted, and that makes us angry. Because we didn't ask her out, and we didn't have that initiation conversation. And I think we're indignant because we're asking Jesus. They were asking Jesus what they wanted from Jesus, and they didn't get to him first. The ten other disciples were indignant because they did their idea first with their mom. And Jesus calls all the guys together because he has to calm them down. He says, you know what? The rulers of the Gentiles lord over them. And their high officials exercise as a verse, authority over them. Jesus sits everybody down. He's like, guys, you need to relax. I know you're indignant. I know you're mad at each other. He says, the rulers of the Gentiles lord over other people. And the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. He's saying, you still have a wrong view of what greatness is. You're measuring greatness against all you've ever known compared to other people and the way they Lord over people. But I'm here to introduce to you a brand new way to go for greatness. It's not going to be so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great. This is Jesus' words on the screen. Whoever wants to become great. And I have to stop right there. See, what normally happens is we read the whole sentence. And we go right to the second half. Whoever wants to become great, dot, 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 must become the servant of all. And so we focus on, in church, you see, you need to become a servant. You need to become a servant. You need to become a servant. And we create this dichotomy, this false polarization between a servant and being great. Want to be great? Do the opposite. Want to do great? Polarize. Do you want to do great? Serve everybody. You go, no. <laughs> it's, it's wrong to want to be great. And that's what all of us do. It's wrong to want to be great because Jesus told us we need to be servants. But we've missed exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us. We've missed exactly what Jesus has said. He never said, do not want greatness in your life. He never says, don't go for greater. He never says, have no goals in the new years. Have no ambition in your life. Give up on greatness. He never said, choose apathy over ambition. No, in fact, he says, what I'm about to say doesn't even qualify if you do not desire to be great. He's saying, if you don't desire to be great, stop listening to what comes next. He starts with, whoever wants to become great. You hear that word, wants to? Ambitiously, competitively, no matter what it takes, Lee. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Whoever wants, wants it, wants it, wants it, who's hungry for it. Les Brown, get hungry. Anybody hungry? He said, whoever wants, that's the qualifier, to listen to the next part of the statement. This is a qualifying statement. Whoever wants to be great, listen to what I have to say next. So what he's about to tell us only has meaning for those of us who want to be great. I just want to interrupt Jesus right here. I'm just going to come clean this morning. I want to be great. Feels kind of awkward saying that out loud, right, in front of a whole bunch of people. Are you a little uncomfortable or is it just me? I want to be great. See, it makes, I want you to just try it right now in your, in your row. Just be, I want to be great. It's a little uncomfortable. It's, it's weird to say that out loud in front of your, your spouse. He's like, yeah, okay, honey. You know what I'm saying? We're not supposed to say that. And that's, that's where we condition our... We're not supposed to want that. We're supposed to pretend 
We don't. We do want it, but we're, we're supposed to pretend that we don't because humility is saying that we don't want what we want. But Jesus says, whoever wants, desires, is hungry for greatness, and I'm going. I am whoever. I am whoever. You said whoever wants. I'm a whoever. You don't have to look any further, Jesus. I want to be great. I don't want to be average. I don't want to be in the middle of the pack. I don't want to be runner up. I want to be great. So whatever you have to say next applies to my life ambition. Does it apply to anybody else in this room? Come on, is there anybody in here who said, Jesus, I want to be great. I want to be great. Because this is part of the dilemma that people without God aspire to greatness. People who have no relationship aspire to greatness, and we admire them for it. We celebrate them for their greatness. But in some ways, we envy them and are indignant about it. And we betray ourselves because we think, when I gave my life to Jesus, I laid greatness on the altar of my faith. And it was never a sacrifice that God called you to give. He called us to give up our ego, not our aspiration. Our ego, not our energy to go for greater. So whoever wants to become great, that's me. If it's you, pay attention, okay? Whoever wants to become great. If you have this in your heart, pay attention. I'm saying, if you walked into this room and you believe that there is something inside of you that this world needs, if you walked in this room determined that life would not turn to dust without meaning and purpose and vitality from you, if you're here in this moment and something burns inside of your soul and you know that your life must count and you must make it count for Jesus, then listen to what he has to say next. I have something to offer the planet. That's why I'm here. And whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Are you listening? So greatness and servanthood are not mutually exclusive. Like we've been dichotomizing in our minds. They are interconnected. Servanthood, greatness, connected. And whoever wants to be first, Jesus continues. First. Did he say first? Did he mean first? I mean, like, top dog, number one, numero uno, like the head cheese. I don't know what you want to call it, like, first. He said, I could want to be, he said, I could want to be, he said, I could want to be first. Must be a slave. Must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life ransom for many. And I love this, whoever wants to be first. We're not allowed to say we want to be first. We have to pretend that we want to be like third or fourth so it's good, but it's not like, you know, all like great. No, I follow Jesus now. I don't want to be first anymore. How pathetic. That's ridiculous. I, I'm just happy being last. Look at me. I'm here to have fun and make everybody else do wonderful. I don't want to be first. I'll just be like sixth or seventh or maybe not even qualify. I'll just call my apathy godliness with contentment and get a free pass at frustration-free life for the rest of my life. Because oftentimes we just call our apathy or our, our sit back and soak attitude godliness with contentment is great gain. And you take that out of context and you say, see, I don't have to try because I'm content with being a loser. Or not number one. Maybe number two. Maybe like number three. Like good but not great. Because I'm with Jesus now. And I need to learn how to be content in all things. And just allow myself to never be the best in the world at anything but Jesus says if you want to be first I'm sorry Jesus is talking I'm listening if you want to be first not fourth if you want to be first not sixth if you want to be first not second see to protect our ego and to protect our children's egos we have been raised to believe that it's okay to not want to be the best in the world and we all start out as children saying I want to be the best astronaut in the world I want to be a great firefighter I want to be a doctor, Dad. And we just teach our kids to lower their expectations, lower their standards, and be like, that's cute, honey, but, but, but you're not going to be the best at the world in anything. I want to protect you and get you ready for real life. And so we keep putting ourselves on little platforms where we can be first. Because we're the only person in the room. Have you ever seen a little girl do a show and nobody's there? And it's like, wow, it's a beautiful dance, a beautiful acting show, sweetheart, but, but nobody's here. She's amazing. And we protect her. Be like, you are amazing. We're the only people in the room, but she's competing against no one. And we think she's amazing because she's our daughter. We think she's amazing because she's our baby niece. 
You see what I'm saying? It's so comfortable and so comatose. And we teach people how to be the only person in the room in order to be great. And we live in fear of stepping up and elevating into a room where we actually are not first. And we have to struggle from fourth to first. Second to first. 27th to first. And it takes discipline and learning and failure and restarting and relearning and trying again. Jesus said, if you want to be first. Yes, in case you're wondering, Jesus, I want to be first. I don't want to lose. I want to win. Yes, first. Yes, first. Yes, first. Yes, first. It's called ambition. It's called competition. And if you want to be second, this doesn't apply to you. So I would encourage you, stop listening to what Jesus said about being a slave if you want to be second. Because if you want to be first, what I'm about to say about slave and serving all men and being ransomed for many, that's applying to the people who want to be first. It's a qualifying statement. You're catching what I'm saying. So stop trying to be a servant of all if you don't want to be great. Stop trying to be a slave for a ransom for all mankind if you don't want to be first. Because you only understand what Jesus has done if you understand the desire to be first. And I just dropped a theological bomb on your head that you do not fully understand what Jesus did for humanity unless you understand what Jesus has done and a desire in your own self to know what it's like to want to be first and greatest and the best in the world. As Jesus says, if you want to be first, then serve just like me. Let's look at the verse. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Isn't that the whole point of Christianity? To be just like Jesus and to give his life a ransom for many? See, Jesus didn't come in second. He came in first. If you're ever going to become more like Jesus, this is what I'm telling you. You might want to get your competitive juices flowing this morning. If you're ever going to be more like Jesus, which is the point of Christianity, you might want to get a little ambition for a mission that matters more than just self-survival. I don't believe you. I don't really buy this. Okay, let's, let's ask Jesus. Jesus, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be the Savior of the world. That's a little ambitious. You sound like a superhero. Okay, Superman. For real, Jesus, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be the savior of the world. Well, okay, son, I don't know if there's a degree for that or what you'd go into to save the entire world. All time back, all time present, and into the future, into 2022. I don't know how to tell you this, Jesus, but that's never going to happen. I want to be first. <laughs> the savior of the world well you're 12 years old son just relax well I have ambition mom I have ambition mom I have a competition to get after don't you know I must be I must be mom I must be about my father's business do you hear that fire do you hear that passion where, where were you son you need to stay with your family don't you know mom I must be about my father's mission well, what do you want to do for real, Jesus? Well, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. All the men? Like all men? For all of time? That's a pretty high, pretty high ambition, Jesus. Well, Jesus, what do you really want to accomplish? I want to seek and save that which is lost, and I am after every single one of them. Well, well Jesus, what's your aspiration? I aspire that everyone would believe and have eternal life. Everyone? I aspire that every single human to ever walk the planet would believe in me and have eternal life. My desire is that no one perish. I will that all mankind be saved through me alone. That sounds pretty like self-centered. Yep, through me alone. There's one way through heaven. One way to my Father. One way. Through Jesus Christ. That's me, Mom. I want everybody to come to me. And I want to be first. I want to win everyone. I will that no one be lost. I will that all men be saved. Well, 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 well. 
Uh, I don't know, Jesus. How are you going to do that? How are you, you going to do that after you're dead? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevent. I will. I will. I will. I will that all men be saved. I will build my church. I must be about my father's business. I have ambition. See, Jesus didn't come to be second. He came to be first. And so he became the greatest servant who ever lived because he has the greatest mission that has ever been lived out. Talk about an ambition for a mission. This is very uncomfortable, isn't it? But I'd like to interview Jesus. The parallel message in Mark chapter, chapter 9, verse 33, says they came to Capernaum. This is after that whole sons of Zebedee mom thing happened. And when Jesus was in the house, he asked his disciples, the 12 guys, hey guys, what were you arguing about on the road? Because they were walking down the road, and they were having a conversation without Jesus. And he was not invited, and he was not involved in this conversation. And it says, they kept quiet. They did not want to tell him what they were talking about on the road. Does Jesus know what they're talking about on the road? Absolutely. Does he need to know? Not really. He knows. But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the Oh my gosh, people of hope, if you hang around Jesus, if you get in a relationship with Jesus, if you prioritize his presence in your life, you will not look to be less, you will go for greater. You will be contagiously hungry for greatness. I love this, because the people who hung around Jesus the most had fights over who was the greatest. Muhammad Ali had nothing on the 12 disciples. I am the greatest. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I am the greatest of all time. You know, Muhammad said that. You know, you know who, who says, strive for greatness? LeBron James says, strive for greatness. These men are hungry for greatness. If you get to know God, these 12 men who followed him day in and day out were not fighting over who the biggest loser was. They were fighting over who was the greatest among us. I don't like that culture. You wouldn't like hanging out with Jesus. I don't like that competition. You wouldn't like being on Jesus' team. Well, why don't they just get along and synergize? Because they believe in themselves. And they could also compliment each other and do great things. But that's not what they're fighting over. They're fighting over who's the greatest among us. And I love the fact that Jesus says, what were you guys talking about? And they said, nothing, Lord. Don't worry about it. And they kept quiet. Because they knew they were talking about something in Christian world you're not allowed to talk about. And Jesus is going to correct them and say, what are you arguing over who's greatest? You know I'm the greatest. That's what they think is coming in the reprimand and the refocus because they're talking about who among them is the greatest. Now, here's what I know, even though I wasn't there. If those 12 were going, who's the greatest? And Thomas just spoke up and said, it's obvious, man. It's Jesus. Well, yeah, okay, outside of Jesus, who's the greatest left of us? Who's the greatest then? So if James and John would say, we're the sons of thunder, but we don't even compare when it comes to the greatness of Jesus. I don't even know we should be talking about greatness in comparison to Jesus. I know for a fact that is not what they were saying to each other. When Jesus asked them, what were you guys talking about? I don't think they would have been quiet if the answer was, well, we were talking about how great you were. And how we were like, just right underneath your greatness. Because the only reason you'd be quiet was because they were advocating for their own greatness. So they're arguing about who's the greatest. You know what I've found? If somebody were to say, you know, Pastor Nate, you're the greatest communicator ever. There's no argument between me and them. I just receive it. I'm like, thank you. I guess I am the greatest. They weren't complimenting each other. That's what I'm trying to get at. There's no argument if you just, like, say somebody's the greatest. The argument comes when you disagree about who is the greatest. I'm sure Peter was involved, and this would never stop. There's only argument when everyone is claiming greatness for themselves. Wow, these disciples of Jesus were so selfish and self-centered. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Does it sound familiar at all? Like, are you above that? Are you beyond that? Like, that's your natural human tendency. And they just wanted to be great, and they're focused on their greatness? Yes. Don't sugarcoat your Christianity. 
They're just all about greatness for themselves. They're arguing about who's the greatest. And then the Bible says, and then sitting down. I want you to see the Savior of the world, the most powerful man on the planet, take a physical metaphor that is so important and look at his 12 guys and bow down beneath them, sit down under their eyeline, sitting down. Jesus said to the 12, anyone, whoa, that's all of us, anyone who wants to be first, must be last and the servant of all. Does that sound familiar to another message Jesus was just telling them about when the whole mom thing came up? See, I want you to catch something. If Jesus wanted to eradicate greatness from our souls and just cancel this greatness thing, this would have been his moment. They're arguing. They're being babies. They're arguing about who's the greatest. They're being a bunch of jerks to each other. If Jesus wanted to kill our drive for greatness, this would have been his moment. But he did not. He simply redirected their desire for greatness. He didn't say, what are you guys doing? Can't you understand what I'm trying to say? You morons. You should not aspire for greatness. But it doesn't say that at all. He says, if you want to be great, another sentence that just wrecks Everybody who doesn't want to be great. Who disqualifies everyone who's not going for greater. If you want to be first, then take your drive for greatness and channel it to be the greatest servant the world has ever known. In all reality, be like me. I'm hungry, boys. I'm first, boys. And I am the greatest of all time, boys. Be more like me. Know who you are and bring what only you can bring to this planet. Be more like me. Know who I've created you to be. Know what I've made you for and be the only you that you could ever be. Be the best you that you could ever be. And never not bring it, boys. Do I ever not bring my greatness to the table? I always show up for you. I always show up for humanity. I never quit. I never fail. I am the greatest. Be like me. See, I think they felt like it was a catch-22. All right, I want to be great. So if I want to be great, what I need to do is become the servant of all. But how long, right? Like how long do I need to be servant of all, Jesus? Because I can serve for a while as long as I know that one day I'm going to be great. <laughs> That's what the church, church does. And we think, well, I can pick up chairs for a little bit. But how long do you want me to pick up chairs for? You know what I'm saying? I'm a servant's heart. I'm not into the chairs anymore. Somebody else pick up the GD chairs, right? <laughs> Gosh darn chairs, right? I'm sorry. Some of my childhood is coming out. And we think greatness is on one side of the pendulum, and servanthood is on the other side of the pendulum. But Jesus is saying, you don't understand, this is not a pendulum, it is a circle. And if you go to the edge of servanthood, you will find yourself standing on the brink of greatness. You will find yourself being the greatest version of who you've been created to be, and adding the most value to the planet that you could ever add to the people around you. It's a circle. And on the side of servanthood, it's the brink of greatness. Are you catching what I'm saying? I think this is anemia that's killing the soul of the church because we think that when you come to faith, you must surrender your pursuit of greatness to Jesus and give up such primitive ideas such as competition and put aside all ambition for a mission that is meaningful. Paul puts it like this, 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Well, not in our race. Has you ever been to the marathon, the wine glass? Not everybody runs. There's some, like, fast walkers. You know what I'm saying? There's some, like, some trot trotters like this, you know. I I've seen the people at the end of the race. I'm always, like, feel so bad that the ambulance is following you, and you're, like, on 17 more miles to go. Like, just stop, man. Just quit. Give it up. But, but Bell's, like, in a real race, <laughs> everybody runs to race and win. Now, people don't join those races just to hang out. In a real race, all the runners won, but only one gets the prize. Did you know that in 2022? I know some of you don't know that, but there was a time where everybody did not get a prize for participation. So you don't get the t-shirt at the end of the race, and you don't get the medallion at the end of the race. You don't get the jersey and the trophy saying, I was there. Some of you just have been devastated in the real world because you showed up at work, and now all of a sudden, come on, John, all of a sudden, you are there in your real job, and you actually have to do something that distinguishes you from everybody else in order to get a trophy. It's like, oh man, I thought this was better. Did you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the trophy, one gets the promotion, one gets the prize. And listen to what he says next. 
I know exactly what time it is. It's 12.04. If, if your watch is beeping, go ahead and touch it with something. Every single week. Listen to what he says. Run in such a race way to win the prize. I want you to catch what Paul's saying. Run to win. Compete when you run. Compete when, be competitive when you run. Be the best when you run. Be ambitious and hungry when you run. I want you to hear that because some of you are still not sure that competition is a good thing. Some of you feel, still think that ambition is bad for your soul, but I want you to hear what it says. Run in such a way as to get the prize. I want to be clear. That is in the Bible. Just, he doesn't say just be happy to be running. He doesn't say just enjoy the journey. You'll get there somehow. He doesn't say all who wander are not lost. See, we throw on the clothes, but we never take on the challenge. We throw on the uniform and the cleats and the sneakers, but we never take on the fact that I want to win this race. I mean, I love Nike. How many of you guys love Nike? Just do it. They have all these really cool stores. I've been to, uh, just a couple months ago, I was in this double-decker Nike outlet store. It was awesome, right? And you have these huge quotes with these amazing, beautiful people with legs on them. Like, wow, look at those legs. And there's these big pictures of people, really sporty, really athletic. And on that, on one of those things, it said something like, everyone is an athlete. Wow, I want to buy these clothes and be an athlete, right? That's the message that's coming. I love that. I mean, it's so inspiring. Everyone is an athlete right behind like Serena Williams or something. It's like, really? Everyone? Like, wow. Thank you, Nike. It's something like, if you have, here's, I'll translate it. If you have a body, you are an athlete. I got a body, so I'm an athlete. Give me the clothes. Don't you just love that? Don't you love those inspirational quotes that are nothing but lies and no way in heaven that they're true? Let me just tell you the truth. because you have a body that does not make you an athlete. Just because you have a body, it's like saying, uh, it's like makes you human. Uh, just, just because you have a body that makes you a human being, but not an athlete. Here's the key. You got to choose to be an athlete. If you're 75, you got to choose to be an athlete. If you're 22, you got to choose to be an athlete. Like, no matter what, you don't, you're a human being if you have a body. You're not an athlete. See, I love the idea that everybody's an athlete. I read that before I got winded climbing the second flight of steps up to the second floor. Like, oh, yeah, I'm an athlete. That's why I can't breathe right now. And this is a ginormous store, you know. See, just because you're in the room doesn't mean you're making a difference. You have to choose to make a difference with your life. Just because you applaud truth doesn't mean you walk out truth. You have to choose to live in the truth. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourself that you're an athlete. Just because you exist doesn't mean that you're alive. You have to decide to live for more. Not everybody who sucks air on the planet makes a difference. You got to choose to go for greater. You got to choose to go work out if you have a body. Then you become an athlete. You're catching what I'm saying. Run in such a way to get the prize. This is what scripture tells us. Stop acting like it doesn't matter. Stop being satisfied with coming in the middle of the pack. Stop thinking it's cool to bring up the rear and run. And run. And run. And when you're winded and you realize you can't go any further, your lungs are going to explode, then get up, discipline yourself, and do the hard work that allows greatness to emerge from your life. You cannot be, amen, you cannot be the best in the world at anything if you're not willing to bear the pain of greatness. I don't want to be good for a Christian. Don't you hate that? Well, he's good for a Christian. I mean, that's a good Christian band. You're, you're a great Christian communicator, you know. They put that word Christian on there. It's like, oh, yeah, I was great until you compare me to the rest of the world. Well, that's a great Christian movie. Yeah, said no one ever. It's great for a Christian. Yeah, it's awful. Because Christian has become equivalent with average. Christian band, lower standard. Christian communicator, lower standard. Christian arts, lower standard. Christian movies, way lower standard. Run in such a way to get the prize. And I'm just going to come clean. I'm tired of living in a culture that says being average is more spiritual because it's not. Being average is more like Jesus. That's the antithesis of Jesus' message. 
And in verse 25, you know, Christian is average. That's the opposite of what Jesus was preaching to his disciples. Verse 25, Paul says, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. Well, that's a big assumption. It's a big assumption on a lot of believers. Some people avoid strict training and think they're still going to win. Because with Jesus, I just show up and he makes it happen. And he says, they do it, speaking of the world, they do it to get a crown that will not last. So here it is. Oh, I love when the Bible gives all the believers a little out. A little way to just live in apathy. A little way. Oh, man, uh, they do it to get a crown that will not last. This is where we can be so spiritually condescending. Look at them putting all that effort into that. How cute, staying late at work, trying to innovate, trying to be the best. So immature, competing so hard like that against science, against other engineers, against other moms. It's all going to burn. Have you ever heard a Christian say, oh, it's so cute. You're trying to win a trophy this year for the Super Bowl. It's going to burn. Your ring's going to fall apart. It's going to be rolled up in a nice little rug. I mean, have you ever heard a Christian say this? He's going to roll up the earth. He's going to throw it away, and all of it doesn't matter. I heard my grandma say that. They say things, well, <laughs> it's really cute that you're going for greater, but you can't take it to the grave, right? And we have so many cliches to justify our apathy and so many cliches to justify our lack of ambition because look at how cute and competitive the world is to try to get a prize that will not last. I'm so much better than them. I'm spiritually mature and I will not compete at work because I'm already going to get a crown that lasts forever. Oh, and you go, oh, they're doing it for a crown that will not last. We're not doing it at all. They're doing it for a crown that will not last. And we're like, yeah, so we don't do it at all. We're not even in the game. We're on the back of the back burner. And we think that's actually counterculture to the sick and stupid culture that we live in. But listen, that's what Peter said. And everybody's like, yeah, all the, all the real Christians know those verses, right? Yeah, sick and stupid culture. I'm not even going to be a part of it. I'm not even going to be in the world, much less of it. I'm not even in the game. You look at the list of scientists, my name doesn't even make the board for patents, for innovation, for invention. For ex I don't even get on the board. I would never. That's a crown that does not last. And your boss can't stand you, and your coworkers can't stand you. You add no value to the planet, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, I just know it's all going to burn. Are you sure? Let's keep reading. I think it's actually counterculture, but it's not. Listen, he says, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but... We do it. I don't think Christians hear that part. See, they do it, and here's the part. We do the same exact thing, Paul says. You want me to compete with the world and win? But we do it. We communicate awesome. We make great art. We make great movies. We make innovation. We do something that matters. We build great businesses. We do it. To get a crown that will last forever. See, he says, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it too. And I don't think anybody catches the two part. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. But here's the problem. It's obvious that they're doing it to get a crown that does not last. But where are the we that are doing it to get a crown that lasts forever? So we mock those with New Year's resolutions, trying to go for greater. And we mock those aspiring to do great things in this world. But you know what he's saying here in the scriptures? They do it for a crown that does not last. We're supposed to be doing it for a crown that does. We're supposed to have more ambition than the most ambitious person at your workplace. See, if a person who doesn't know God aspires to be the greatest teacher in the world, you should aspire to be even the greater teacher and as ever taught in the whole world. See, if a person wakes up and says, I want to be the greatest inventor in the world who's ever lived, and they don't even know God, those pursuing a crown that lasts forever should be aspiring to be the greatest inventor that has ever walked the planet because we know God. We shouldn't, here's the point, we shouldn't be less, Paul says. We should be more. We shouldn't be mocking. We should be doing more. Because our crown will last forever, but we should be doing. And we also do 
And yet somehow we're still uncomfortable with ambition. And today, I believe, as we wrap this up, this needs to be our first AA meeting of the year. Ambitious Anonymous. And we need to stop being so anonymous about it. And say crazy stuff like, I desire to be great. I want to be first. We need to stop being anonymous and start becoming ambitious. We could call this ambitious always. Those people of hope, ambitious always. AA, let's go. Let's get after it today. Ambitious always is how you describe a person who joyfully anticipates good things from a good God in my future. And God is going to do great things, but he's partnered with somebody who's going for greatness as well. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. See, Pastor, that's the verse that was running through my head that whole time. That's the one I remember. That's the one they beat me down with. That's the one they made me lose my ambition with. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather, gets the rest of it, in humility, value others above yourself. Let me help you. So be the best in the world. Because you're determined to serve the world the best that you can. I'll say it again. Be the best in the world because you're determined to serve the world the best that you can. Make your life the greatest gift the world has ever known. Realize that there are gifts and talents and intelligence and passion and purpose inside of you that the world desperately needs you to serve them with. What is missing if you don't show up? What is not in your world if you don't go for greater? What does the world need because you suck air on the planet? Stop giving the world less than what God gave you. Stop giving the world less than what God put inside of you stop giving the world less than what you're willing just to work what's already there and you own your responsibility to set the standard of the best in the world that you could bring the best in the world that you could bring i want to tell you we're not all in the same race but we're all here to run the race to win and i'm not a truck driver i see a truck driver over there but if i were i want to be the best truck driver in the world I'd want to do that like teabag thing that was on the edge of the tire and then I saw on TikTok and he backs up and that thing just dropped right into the cup. He could back that thing up with such precision. He's do, moving uh, like an 18, 25 wheeler and he just stops and this thing just goes right into the cup. It's amazing. I want to be the best truck driver in the world. I want to inspire people with TikToks like look at me back up in real time. Beep, 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 boom. Mind blown. See, I'm not running that race. But if I were, I'd want to be the best in the world. I'd take those wide turns like nobody's business. I'm not a scientist, obviously. But if I were, I would be running with ambition to be on the cutting edge of discovery. I'm not an engineer, thank God. But if I were, I'd want to be the best. See, we're not running the same race, and nobody's asking you, but try to be the best in the world at something. Just try to go for the greatest potential and bring your best to serve the world around you. Can we do that, people of hope? Can we stop being jaded to all this greatness and actually go for greatness? I want to tell you, you can have ambition, you can have dreams, you can have aspiration, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have a connection to your creator, the one who designed you, it's really hard to get it done. It's really hard to hit your destiny if you're not in relationship with the one who designed you. And I've found, I've discovered hope in Jesus that when I get to know him, he actually shows me who I am more than he shows me who he is. And I love him for it. He pulls the greatness out of his team. He pulls the greatness out of people. And all of a sudden, we start going for greater in relationship to Jesus. You might think people use Jesus as a crutch. But I want to tell you, Jesus is not a crutch for the weak. He's a high call for the strong. He is calling you to greater. He is calling you to more. He is calling you to better life, more life to the fullest than you could find by yourself. And he's not just there for the apathetic and the weak and the lowly of heart. He loves those people, but he's also here for the difference 
making believers who say, I will not settle for anything less than His righteousness, His very best, His spirituality, and my practicality combining to make a power impact in the world I am destined to reign in. Anybody ready to do something that matters in your life? Come on. Anybody ready to make an impact? Anybody ready to add value and become the servant to somebody in your world? I can't serve the whole world. Serve one. How do we change the world? One square foot at a time in front of us. Do something beyond self that actually adds value to others. Be the servant to someone in order to be a servant to all. Go for greater. Do something that matters. Do something that matters with your life. And the side effects, yes, your boss will be pleased. Yes, you'll be promoted. Those are side effects of greatness within you getting out of you. I was born for greater. Were you born for greater than this? Or are you like, this is it. This is all that I've ever be. Come on, let's go for greater. When you connect to Jesus, you've, you fight for greatness. You fight with people. You fight with yourself. You fight with your own competition. You go for greater. Anybody ready to connect to your creator this morning? Anybody ready to get in touch with who you really are and what he has you here for?